0: Please be turning with me to first corinthians fifteen fifty five through fifty seven that is first corinthians fifteen fifty five through fifty seven and in your pew bibles that is page one thousand and twenty four i'll be reading out of the new international version. Where o death is your victory, where o death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is law. but thanks be to God He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, thank you so much for being with us. You being here is an encouragement to us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We also welcome back our team that's been down offering relief to Katrina victims in the Mississippi area. We understand that about 20 of them were able to work last week in four homes and make tremendous progress, and we're thankful for what you did this past week, the sacrifices that you made, and how you represented our Lord and Savior. And we look forward to seeing the good that we can be a part of all year long and in this work. And especially if you can go uh, sometime very soon, keep in mind that meeting that will take place tonight. There's a place for everyone to serve in that work if you can go. What a wonderful thing that is. Also, uh, the men are back from the men's retreat. They left out Friday, came back Saturday afternoon. It was a wonderful retreat. We're thankful to Jamie. And for his organization of that, it was a tremendous time together. It was a wonderful fellowship, a lot of good lessons presented, challenging us men to put on the whole armor of God. Also, keep in mind the SOS booklet, Serving Our Savior, is available. Uh, The database will be wiped out once this one is completed. And so whatever area of ministry that you want to participate in, no matter what you've done in the past you need to go ahead and sign up again. And if you are wondering, well, what can I be involved in? In the Simulcast area, across the foyer, in the old fellowship area, or the new fellowship area, the old auditorium area, there are uh, six displays, eight displays laid out, and there are deacons around those displays to answer any questions. And you can learn everything that we're involved in on an annual basis. Everything we do... There will be someone there that can describe that to you. And you can find out ways that you can be involved. What we're striving to do in this is, number one, communicate to the congregation. Number two, ask the congregation to commit to a work. And so it's, it's all about the opportunities for us to be involved. This will make it available for every willing servant to serve. And that's our goal. And we hope that you're one of those willing servants. Be sure and fill out one of those SOS booklets. You can imagine how nervous they were as England waited to hear what the report would be of that battle of Waterloo. Napoleon had already taken over all of Europe except for England. It was June 18th, 1815, and they waited. Now the story is told that the signal would be sent back through uh, lanterns being signaled back to land. As they waited, the signal began to come in. Wellington, which was the military leader of England... Wellington defeated, as the heavy fog said it ends. As time went by, the fog lifted. The message was sent again. This time, in its entirety, Wellington defeated his enemy. You can imagine, after the first signal, there was a great feeling of defeat throughout England. A lot mourning the loss of their nation. But then, when they heard the rest of the news, there was great celebration that night. You know, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, people misunderstood. They misunderstood the message that was being communicated, they wept and they cried. Believers stopped believing. The men on the road to Emmaus, they were walking long-faced and sad because they said they had hope that Jesus was the one that would deliver the Israel. But now it appeared that Jesus was no longer alive. But it was when Jesus came in the resurrected form that He showed Himself that the rest of the message was clearly communicated. Jesus defeated His enemies. The resurrection is the story of Jesus that I have to understand, or I will never understand Christianity. If I do not understand the resurrected Lord, I have no hope, I have no victory, and I have no reason to serve. As a matter of fact, just a few weeks after Jesus resurrected from the grave, He ascended into heaven, and then we have the beginning of the church. What was the sermon about the day the church begun? It was no surprise to us. He had to preach what they had to understand in order for there to be a church. He had to preach on the resurrected Lord. And that was the whole sermon that we have revealed to us in Acts, the second chapter. Let's scan just a few things and then we'll go to our text in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. But notice the first day the church began, as we begin reading in Acts, the second chapter, we're going to pick up in 23. He's already identified in 22 that he's speaking of Jesus of Nazareth. And then in Acts 2 and 23, he says, "...him..." being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be held by it. Notice here the conviction that He's bringing in their lives as He reminds them, you thought this guy was just Jesus of Nazareth and you crucified Him on the cross. But He wasn't just Jesus of Nazareth, He was the Savior, the Son of God. And yes, you have crucified Him, but note the power of God. God raised Him from the dead. Now, they, being Jews, would have loved, appreciated, and known very well the writings of David. So in the following verses, he quotes some of the writings of David, and then he describes these writings to them, how the writings were actually prophecy that Jesus would be resurrected from the grave. He has spoken of that in verse 30, and now let's read 31 and 32 together. Note again the emphasis of the resurrection. He, foreseeing this, talking about David foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. He could challenge them to go back and look at the tomb of David, and what they would find was David's remains. They'd find his skeleton. But here, he's challenging them to understand this important truth. You can go back and look for the remains of Jesus Christ and you won't find Him because His flesh did not meet corruption in the grave. Why? Because He didn't stay there. Because He is resurrected. And that's why the power is the fact that He has been raised from the dead. And He says we're witnesses of it. He's talking about something that happened just a few weeks ago. He's talking about something that Jesus did not in private but in public. He appeared before 500 men. They saw Him at one gathering. The apostles saw Him on other gatherings, and other individuals saw Him at other times. There were hundreds of people on the earth that saw the resurrected Lord. And so now He speaks as the church begins of the need to believe and serve that resurrected Lord. But now keep in mind, at this point in the sermon, we ought to be asking ourselves, what did it do for these people to believe in a resurrected Lord? Let's look at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You put Him to death, but you did not cease, Jesus. God raised Him from the dead, and now He's on the right-hand throne of God, and He is Lord. We ought to be submissive, the servants. He is Lord. And Christ. Let's read 37 and 38. Notice their response. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And it's there in 38 they're told to repent and be baptized of them, in the name of Jesus. Not one that's dead, but one that is alive. One that is sitting on the right hand throne of God. Jesus Christ. Not crucified and dead but crucified dead buried and resurrected he is alive friends if we're ever going to understand the very core of christianity we have to understand a living jesus the church began by preaching about the resurrected jesus let's go to 1 corinthians the 15th chapter The text that was so capably read for us comes out of 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, which is the longest discourse in all the Bible of the resurrection. I don't know if you've noticed, but when you read through the Bible, it's uncommon to have one theme running for several verses. The topic of the resurrection was so important and so misunderstood that Paul does something unusual in the book of 1 Corinthians. He spends 57 verses talking about one topic. He never breaks the chain of thought in that topic. From the first verse to the 57th verse, he's saying loud and clear, You have to understand the resurrected Lord. They had misunderstood the resurrection. Some were saying that there was not going to be a resurrection. And he teaches and he preaches for 57 verses about the resurrection. But he reminds them at the beginning of this, this isn't something new to you. He reminds them as we look in verse 2 and 3, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, now note this, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul says, first of all this is what I've delivered to you. Now, do you remember that when we study back in Acts and we find about Paul going into Corinth, it was a scary event for Paul. He was looking at this huge, immoral, wicked, metropolitan area. And he was thinking, no one here will want to hear about Jesus. I don't want to go in there and preach about Jesus. And the Lord encourages him to go in, that he has many people in that city. And so we say, what would Paul preach the first time that he entered into that city? And he says... You remember the first thing I preached to you? I preached to you about the death of Jesus just as the Scriptures prophesied. I preached to you about His burial and about His resurrection just as the Scripture had prophesied. It's happened. Friends, that must be the beginning and the end of our faith. It all is built and revolves around a resurrected Lord now, over the next few verses in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, he would give them proof. The proof was in several witnesses that were there, as we've already mentioned earlier. But then in the next paragraph, beginning in verse 12, he would address the question why is it that some of you say there's no resurrection? And then he plays the what if game with them. Okay? If you don't believe there's a resurrection, are you ready to accept all of these consequences that are going to play out if there's no resurrection? We don't have time to work all the way through this to accomplish what we want today. But we can go to one verse and see the thrust of this paragraph. In other words, He's saying to them, if you don't believe in the resurrected Lord, you have no hope. Now the beautiful thing is, with the resurrected Lord, we have tremendous hope. Let's read verse 17 and then skip down to 19. And in verse 17 in this paragraph, that started back in verse 12. He says, if Christ is not risen. that, And if Christ is not risen... Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Verse 19 If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. The other translation would say the most miserable. So if there's no resurrection, he says first we have to accept the fact that Christ was not raised from the dead either. In other words, can you find that tomb where the remains of Jesus are? Well, of course they can't because there was a resurrection. But if there is no resurrection, do you realize that there is no Savior because one who is dead cannot save? If there is no resurrection, there is no living church because Christ is the head of the church. The church is His body and if the head is dead, then we're striving to be a part of an organism that is dead. If there is no living Savior before His death, He prophesied that He was going to go and prepare a place for us and come again and take us back to that place. But if there is no resurrection, there is no heaven, and there is no second coming, and once we die, we're like the dog. It's all gone. There's nothing else. Do you see what Paul is doing to these individuals here? He's speaking things that are true, but He's putting them in a very simple state. Are we ready to throw everything away? No. Why? Because there is a Savior. He is alive. Yes, He did die on the cross, but yes, He was resurrected. Now, if He is not resurrected, not only is Jesus dead, but our faith is dead too. We have no good news. We have no gospel to preach. It's not- that Jesus died and He's still in the grave and that there's no hope for us that we'll die and we'll remain lost also. But the good news is He is alive and we do have faith. Now notice that last in verse 17. He says also that if Christ died and if He did not resurrect and if we have no faith to build our life upon, we also are dead in sin. I want you to think about God and us. God and us. It is sin that separates us from God. That separation is spiritual death. It is in the waters of baptism that we meet with our Lord and it is there that He washes away the guilt of our sins, Acts 22 and 16. It is there that we find the remission of sins, Acts 2 and 38. It is there that He performs a surgery and cuts away the guilt of our sin. In Colossians the second chapter. It is there that we meet with the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sins. Revelations the first chapter and verse 5. Friends, if there is no resurrected Lord, there is no hope of the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is meaningless. And we have nothing to preach of a Savior, of the gracious God and of a scheme of redemption that we can respond to in order to receive the grace of that God. That's why in 19, he's speaking to Christians when he says, if there's no resurrection, we are of all people most miserable. As Christians, we don't live for this earth. Now, I'm not suggesting you and I are perfect, but let's speak in perfect terms for just a moment. As Christians, we don't live for this earth. All of our possessions could be gone by this afternoon and we'd say, You know what? I'm so thankful I still have my God. I'm still looking for that eternal home. I've sent possessions ahead. I've stored up treasures ahead. We could lose our health. And we would say, I still have my soul. I still have my relationship with God. All is well. We could have family and friends turn on us. But as Christians, we say, I'm not living for this earth. And I regret that family and friends have turned on me, but my God has not turned on me. Christians do not live for this earth. Christians live for the eternal life. And now if there is no resurrection, there is no eternal life. And we are of all people most miserable. Because everything that we've looked toward and everything that we've dreamed and envisioned and moved toward, it doesn't exist. No wonder we would be most miserable. You see, Paul, from verse 12 to 19, is just emphasizing over and over, have hope. Christ did resurrect. Your faith is genuine. It's real. Believe in the resurrected Lord. Have your sins washed away. Not the most miserable people, but the people with the most to rejoice about. What a beautiful thought of the hope of Jesus. But not only hope, as the text that was so capably read this morning, it speaks of victory. Look again at verse 55 as we see this victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? And then in 57, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Most of us would say we have stood by about as many gravesides as we want to stand beside. We've felt the sting of death. Oh, I could paint images, but do I really have to do that? We've let our tears drop into open graves. We've buried our family. We've buried our friends. And if we live much longer, we're going to bury more of our family and we're going to bury more of our friends. And we can't help but sometimes fight that same mental battle that man has been fighting since the very beginning, the battle of pain and suffering and death. How many graves do we have to look into before we say, well, the sting of death, I'm sick of it. This appearance that the grave is winning, I'm tired of it. You can imagine mankind as a whole reaching out, groping for a Savior saying, Give me something more than this earth. Please don't tell me this is all there is. Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Toward the end of a chapter of the resurrection... He has been victorious over the sting of death. He has been victorious over the grave. He's told His followers that you do not have to have the end with the sting of death or with the grave, but it can simply be a passageway for you to enter into the victorious existence with God. Man has longed to overcome the grave on their own terms. Human efforts. When we look back through the history of North America, we see Ponce de Leon back in the 1500s. It's said that as he came come into Florida, that he was actually searching for a fountain of youth. And there, in that location, is still a landmark that millions visit, even to this day. And as they visit... They are given a cup of water and they are allowed to drink of that spring. Now I realize that most that drink of that today probably realize that this water is not going to keep them young. This water is not going to cause them to avoid death. But do you realize there have been and there still are people today that are in a serious search for the avoidance of aging and dying. They want desperately to cling to this life. They want desperately to believe that they're immortal. They want desperately something that they will never find through this earth. Of the millions that have drank of that water, every one of them have aged and every one of them will die. In John the fourth chapter, Jesus spoke to a woman at a well. He urged her to drink of water that would give her eternal life. Paul, writing here in 1 Corinthians 15, does not speak of it as water, but it's the same message. Believe in that Jesus that can give eternal life. The victory is through Jesus. And when we back up just a few verses, in verse 50 we realize that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so we read in 51 about this change that... The victorious individual is going to have this new body. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. That's another resurrection that we shall experience. The dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Flesh and blood is not going to enter into heaven. And so when we think about a victory with Jesus, what is that victory? That victory involves a changed body that's going to be able to live forever. A body that will never visit a doctor or a medical facility. A body that will never lie in a casket. A body that will never see a cemetery. A body that will never be in farewell again. A body that will never be in the presence of immortality or wickedness or sin. A body that is made for God. A body that's made to live in the presence of God. A body that's beyond our imagination. And you notice how quickly it's going to happen? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. News reports, many of you probably saw the individual that stood beside the destruction of his home here in Tennessee. And he said, as he pointed to that, he said, And all this happened in 15 seconds. My life was changed. Uh, if we just pause right now for 15 seconds... That seemed like a long time, wouldn't it? That was only about four seconds. Fifteen seconds is really a pretty good while. And that was just a guy's house that changed. Lord, let me understand this again. When you come again and all this change is going to take place, how quickly is all this going to happen? And the Lord says, you ever seen a twinkle in someone's eye? You ever seen a little child that they're sitting there and they don't know that their daddy is about to unload a pony out of that truck and that's going to be their pony. And that child goes from a blank face to a twinkle in the eye. Unbelievable! That's my pony? I can't believe it! How fast does it take to have a twinkle in the eye? You can't hardly measure it in time. It's too quick. Friends, we won't even have time to take a double look and our bodies will be changed. And we'll be standing before God on the day of judgment before Jesus Christ on the throne. If we choose to look back over our shoulder, I suppose we'll see the smoke of the earth that is the mel- elements melting away. And we, we will, according to verse 24, we will be delivered before the Father which is in heaven. Christ will deliver His... To the Father. you ever won a trip somewhere? I know we have some here that they have won trips to Hawaii. I've talked to you. You know, it would be pretty neat, wouldn't it, to fly all the way over to Hawaii and step off that plane and, and you enjoy a nice hotel and you enjoy that beautiful scenery, that beautiful Hawaii. And you enjoy all that and say, Wow, what a trip. This is a nice reward. This, this is really great. Can you imagine when God the Father... When we're standing before Him, delivered by Jesus, Jesus confesses our name to the Father just as we have confessed His name on earth. And can you imagine us looking around heaven? A city that is not made with hands? A city that is beyond our imagination? Friends, what victory. There's nothing to compare it to. But that victory is only made possible because of a resurrected Lord. Where's the sting of death? Where's the victory over the grave? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus. Now the question. God gives us 57 57 verses of the resurrection. How's it going to end? How's He going to tie all this up? How's He going to bring it together? How is He going to bring it down to apply to our life? Friends, I want you to note something here. This is how God brings all this together. This isn't the clever means of men just trying to get the most out of people. This is God trying to help us to become the most that we can be. Look at verse 58. It may surprise you how He brings this chapter to a conclusion. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Because of the resurrected one, we can have success in life. In other words, we can find what our faith needs to be because the resurrected one has guided us. We have the instruction we need. We can find our purpose in life because of the resurrected one. We even have promises that when we do that, our life will never be in vain. Let's think about this as we close. The Lord is saying to us, in other words, I want you to get it right. I want you to get your life and your relationship right with Me. And then, be steady. Be immovable. I've shared with you in the past that Every time I read this verse, I can't help but hear my father's words as he spoke softly in my ear. When both of us were sharing a seat on an old Super C tractor, I was about nine or ten years old. I was learning how to lay off the rows in the garden and try to keep them straight. Now that old Super C had a play in the steering that would go almost all the way around before he'd catch And Dad would explain, you have to keep your eyes on something in the distance. You pick out something and you go straight to it. Don't look down, don't look to the left or the right, your roll will be crooked. Drive straight towards something in the distance. Young boy, fighting that loose steering wheel, I'd fight it to the left, then I would fight it to the right. And then, my dad, being more patient than even Joe. He would reach up, He would stop the wheel, and He would say the words, Steady, son, steady. Lord, You've taught us about the great resurrected one. you taught us that we're going to stand in a day of resurrection. You've taught us how You want to be victorious with us. Lord, what do you want me to do now? And he's saying as he's talking to brethren. In other words, he's already talking to folks that have been baptized into Christ. He's talking to people that have already started that journey. And he's putting his hand on the wheel and he's saying, Just hold it steady. Don't be pulled away by Satan's lies over here. Don't be drugged down by false doctrine over here. Just hold it steady. Don't let people and things move you from where you need to be. And your life. Work. Work hard in the kingdom, which is the church. Let your life be full of the Lord's work. Notice he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's strong language. Lord, how much work do you want me to do in your kingdom? I want you to always be about it. But I'm just a teenager. Always be about it. I've got a young family right now. I'm busy. It doesn't matter. Always be about the work of the Lord. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about retiring. Don't retire from the Lord. Always abound in the work of the Lord. But now let's think about that word abounding. It literally means to overflow. The idea is how you'd also describe a creek or a river bank. The river that has overflowed its banks. We have a little creek right beside the building here. Right now, you and I could look in that creek and say, the water's running. At other times, we'd come down when it was flooding and we'd say, it's flowing over the banks. Lord, how do you want our work to be? Lord, if if I just do a little bit here and there, is that what you want? He says, oh, no, no, no. I want your life. I want you to live your life overflowing in my work. When you go home, Work at being a godly family member. That's my work. When you deal with your neighbors, you deal with them in such a way that you'd be a godly neighbor. And the works of the church always abound in the work of the church. Please realize that when we ask folks to commit to a work, It's not because we're asking folks to get busy so that somebody can be patted on the back and say, look what's happening at that church. It's because we want to give everyone a place to serve. Because you and I can't be faithful if we're not always abounding in the work of the Lord. This morning... As you consider your life, have you considered the resurrected one? Is your life in service to the resurrected one? Do you have hope because of the resurrected one? Do you have victory because of the resurrected one? Can you say, I'm always abounding in the work of the Lord because of the resurrected one? If not, let's change that. You and I can decide how we're holding the wheel. We're the ones that makes the decisions in our life. And how blessed we are when we can say, Lord, I want it to be your way. I submit myself wholly to you. If you've never submitted yourself to the Lord to be saved, won't you as a believer repent of sins and confess before men and be baptized for the remission of those sins? If you have been baptized and something has swayed you from where you need to be, won't you repent of that? Let's confess sins and let's pray forgiveness. Let's make sure as we leave here, that we're all, all living for that resurrected one and for that great day of resurrection that we all shall meet.